Blog Talk Radio.
Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe, and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Saturday, uh, February 24th, uh, 2024, and uh, we're broadcasting from our studios uh, in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal. Later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire reports with dispatches on the statements uh, made by the Republic of Namibia on the parallels between the early 20th century genocide in their country and the Palestinian situation. The South African government is calling for worldwide testimony related to the case against Tel Aviv in the International Court of Justice. The economic community of West African states has lifted sanctions against Niger, and Russia is assessing these special military operations in Ukraine on the second anniversary of the war. In the second and third hours, we continue our focus on African American History Month, commemorating the 59th anniversary of the martyrdom of Malcolm X, El Hajj, Malik Shabazz. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Stay tuned. We'll take our musical interlude uh, with uh, music uh, from the African continent during the 1970s. This is a compilation of tracks entitled Afro-Funk Psycho 70s Vinyl Collection. Uh, Let's listen in. Thank you. 
tengo ya déjalo. Esa es la trompeta.
lo que de hecho me la pongo en Thank <laughs> you. 
welcome back. And uh, that was uh, a collection of compositions uh, from uh, Africa uh, from the 1970s. It is uh, entitled Afro-Funk Psycho 70s, a vinyl collection. Uh, features music from West, uh, Central, and Eastern Africa. And this is uh, the Pan-African Journal, the worldwide radio broadcast uh, for uh, Saturday, February 24th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting uh, from our studios uh, in uh, downtown Detroit. Uh, right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. These are some of the headlines in today's uh, Pan-African. Namibia's uh, justice minister has recalled Germany's brutality against her people and notes that it is because of this experience that they have a moral duty to stand up against the occupation of Palestine. Namibia's Minister of Justice, Ivan Dusab, accused Germany uh, yesterday of committing the first genocide of the 20th century, uh, referring uh, to the slaughter of the Nama and Herero people between 1904 and 1907 in what was then called German Southwest Africa, today known as Namibia. Uh, Dusab uh, delivered this address on Namibia's behalf during proceedings held by the International Court of Justice in The Hague, Netherlands, uh, to evaluate the legal ramifications of Israel's policy and actions in occupied uh, Palestine. The ICJ is conducting hearings throughout the week to assess the legal consequences of the 75-year-long Israeli occupation, with the court focusing specifically on the past uh, 57 years of the occupation, uh, beginning in 1967, uh, with an unprecedented 52 nations, including the United States and Russia, expected to present evidence. The minister accused uh, Germany of brutality against the Herero and Nama people and noted uh, that uh, Namibia knows well the repercussions of occupation, colonialism, systematic discrimination, and apartheid, citing that it is for this reason uh, that the nation considers it a moral duty and a sacred responsibility to testify against the indefensible occupation of Palestine. Bissab uh, called on the court to end the injustice that has been suffocating the Palestinians for over 57 years, calling uh, their situation, quote, collective punishment, unquote, in the besieged strip, and the number of Palestinians murdered uh, by Israel in Gaza unprecedented in recent history. This hell on earth, noted Dusab, was a stain on the collective consciousness of the world. During the session, Professor Phoebe Okowa, a professor of public international law at the University of London and Namibia's spokesperson, emphasized that racist Israeli tactics in Palestine violated core human rights treaties and international law principles. Okowa requested the court to, quote, make it clear uh, that the prohibition of apartheid is not limited to Southern Africa in the last century, unquote, and rather includes, quote, Israel's current policy in the occupied Palestinian territories. The International Court of Justice conducted its fifth day of hearings on the legal ramifications of Israel's activities in the occupied Palestinian territories at the request of the United Nations General Assembly on Friday, uh, with the proceedings set to conclude on Monday. In other news, National Criminal Court is currently examining arguments from more than 50 states after a 2022 request by the United Nations General Assembly for a non-binding opinion on the legal consequences 
of Israeli occupation. Now, South Africa's ambassador to the Netherlands, uh, Vusumusi Ma Donsela, uh, urged nations worldwide to provide testimony in the case filed against Israel uh, atrocities uh, in Gaza. At the International Court of Justice in January, South Africa initiated the genocide case leading to the International Court of Justice's subsequent order for the Israeli regime to cease its genocidal actions in Gaza, among other measures. The court is currently considering arguments in a separate case concerning the prolonged Israeli occupation of Palestinian territory uh, initiated over a year ago following a request uh, from the United Nations General Assembly. You are listening to uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. West Africa's regional bloc, known as the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, has lifted travel, commercial, and economic sanctions imposed on Niger that were aimed at reversing the coup staged in the country last year, a senior official announced earlier today. The sanctions will be lifted with immediate effect. The president of the ECOWAS Commission, Omar Alou Touré, said after the bloc's meeting in Nigeria's capital of Abuja that aims to address existential threats facing the region as well as implore three uh, leaders of uh, several nations that have quit uh, the bloc to rescind their decision. The lifting of the sanctions on Niger is, quote, on purely humanitarian grounds, unquote, to ease the suffering caused as a result, uh, Ture told reporters. There are targeted individual sanctions as well as political sanctions that remain in force. The summit of the 15 nations regional bloc, known as ECOWAS in Nigeria's capital, Abuja, comes at a critical time uh, when the 49-year-old bloc's future is threatened uh, as it struggles with possible disintegration and a recent surge in coups fueled uh, by discontent over the performance of elected governments whose citizens barely benefit from uh, the extraction and trade in mineral resources. Decisions to be made at the summit must be guided uh, by our commitment to safeguarding uh, the constitutional order upholding democratic principles and promoting uh, the social and economic well-being of the citizens. Nigerian President Bola Tinubu, current chairman of ECOWAS, said at the start of the summit. Uh, top of the agenda is the recent decision by Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger to leave ECOWAS or the Economic Community of West African States over inhumane sanctions that move is unprecedented since the bloc was established in 1975 and grew to become the region's top political and economic authority. And uh, finally, uh, the Russian Defense Minister, Sergei Shogwo, uh, listened to reports by commanders of the Battle Group Center on the current situation at the nature uh, of the enemy's activities in the Special Military Operations Area in Ukraine. Russia's Defense Minister reported on this earlier today. Quote, during his work in the area of the Special Military Operations, Russian Defense Minister Army General Sergei Shogu uh, listened uh, to reports by the commander of the Battle Group Center and headquarters offices on the current situation, the nature of the enemy's activities, uh, and uh, the fulfillment of combat missions by Russian troops in the operational direction, unquote, the ministry said in a statement. A Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shogu uh, ordered during the visit to the Battle Group Center headquarters to further reinforce the battle group with electronic warfare equipment, 
the Russian Defense Ministry said. The Orlan 30 reconnaissance drone proved to be good during the Avyevka liberation. Battle Group Center Commander Andrei Mordovichev reported uh, to Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu. The Orlan 30 unmanned aerial vehicle system proved to be very good uh, in the course of liberating at a settlement, the Russian Defense Minister said. Strike drones of the Battle Group Center destroyed more than 700 uh, various Enemy targets uh, in the Adavetka direction, Battle Group Center Commander Andrei Mordovichev reported to Defense Ministry Sergei Shoigu. And with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment of uh, the Pan-African Journal. It's an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in hundreds of newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like, like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, uh, just go to our website, and that's at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. If you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, uh, this worldwide uh, radio broadcast, uh, just go uh, to our website, and that's at the Pan-African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash panafricanjournal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for uh, this week. One of those uh, times where something really, really special happened. And uh, when it happens, you know it's happened. And you just feel it, and everybody in the room feels it. And uh, there's no denying it, and there's no saying, do that again exactly the way you did it, because it's gone, and it'll never be the same again. I wrote this song when I was about 16 years old, and the music, the music had stayed the same, but as I got older, the lyrics started to grow, as I myself grew and experienced things, and it, it went from a nice little, little love song into a, well, into what it is now, which is a not so nice love song and it's a a little I don't know it's not a warning but it's the observation that I made about someone that I was very close to and they should have been going this way and it was going that way You know, when you care about somebody, you do what you can. And you talk at them, and that doesn't work. And you, you preach at them, you call their mother, you call their father. You know, you call the law. And um, sometimes after you've exhausted all of the exterior possibilities, you go into the interior, and this is what came out. I know. 
Detroit's own uh, Anita Baker uh, doing the track entitled Watch the Step and just a little bit of Baby. And this is the Pan-African Journal, worldwide uh, radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, February the 24th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. And of course, uh, just three days ago, represented the 59th anniversary of the martyrdom of uh, Malcolm X, El Hajj Malik Shabazz, who was gunned down at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City on February 21st of 1965. We're going to present right now uh, perhaps the last uh, broadcasted, uh, live broadcasted interview with Malcolm X uh, done on February 18th, 1965. He was on a panel with a uh, former uh, Nation of Islam member, uh, Aubrey Barnett from Boston, and Gordon Hall. Uh, perhaps a uh, FBI and CIA operative uh, who had non-official cover. Uh, this uh, program was aired over Stan Bernard's uh, contact. Uh, let's listen in. February 18th, 1965. What is a black Muslim besides a Negro? And what is the movement? Is it a bona fide religion or just a terror organization? Tonight on Stan Bernard Contact, we're going to have a look at the Muslims and the black nationalists in general. And my guest tonight, Malcolm X, once the number two man in the black Muslims, now broken with Elijah Muhammad, he says he's a marked man and that a number of attempts have been made on his life. And also in the studio, uh, we hope very shortly, Aubrey Barnett, there's been some difficulty tonight just before airtime, and Aubrey may join us and he may not. Uh, he's also split from the organization, and he's written an article in this week's Saturday Evening Post labeled simply, The Black Muslims Are a Fraud. And uh, here is Aubrey Barnett now. And my third guest tonight, Gordon Hall, an expert on extremist organizations. Aubrey Barnett, in your article, you call the black Muslims a fraud. Now, does this just apply to the mosque's methods of raising money or what? Do you think it's a religious fraud as well? I think the entire black Muslim movement is a fraud. And uh, Webster's Dictionary defines a fraud as deceit, trickery, or a trick. The black Muslims have deceived the public. They've used trickery on trying to attract the Negroes, and they have outright tricked the poor black Muslim members. That's why I say they are a fraud. Uh, now, okay, they've tricked them. Now, this is in terms of the religion itself as well as the mon money raising. Well, right. As far as the religion of, of Islam is concerned, I might say right here that any similarity between the black Muslims and the true religion of Islam is purely coincidental. Malcolm X, uh, I said at the outset that you were once the number two man. I think I can rightfully say that easily. You were certainly uh, as well known as, almost as well known, or as well known as Elijah Muhammad. Uh, but I never was the number two man. You never were the number the two man. I said I was the number two man, but there were others ahead of me. How do you feel about this comment from Aubrey Barnett? Now, what he's saying is true, especially about the first, especially about the religion. The uh, religion of Islam itself is a religion that uh, is based upon brotherhood and a religion in which the persons who believe in it in no way judge a man by the color of his skin. Uh, the yardstick of measurement in Islam is one's deeds, one's conscious behavior. And the uh, yardstick of measurement that was used by Elijah Muhammad was based upon the color of the skin. Malcolm, it wasn't too long ago that 
You were preaching uh, separation, black supremacy. You were, or, or separation at any rate. It's not black supremacy. It sounded like black supremacy to a lot of people. How do you uh, equate that now? What you're saying today? There's not one person who is a Muslim who believes in Elijah Muhammad today who believes in him more strongly than I did. When I was with him, I believed in him 100%. And it was my strong belief in him that made me go along with everything he taught. And I think if you check back on my representation of him while I was with him, I represented him 100%. What is your status now, Malcolm? How do you mean? Right now. Uh, I'm a Muslim. Broken? When I, when I, you, you must understand that the black Muslim movement, although it claimed to be a religious movement based upon Islam, it was never acceptable uh, to the orthodox Muslim world. And uh, although at the same time it attracted the most militant, the most dissatisfied of the uh, black community into it, and by them getting into it and the movement itself not having a real action program, it uh, comprised a number of persons who were extremely young and militant but who could not, and who were activists by nature but who couldn't participate in things. So the inactivity of the movement caused a great deal of dissatisfaction until finally dissension broke in and division. And those of us who left regrouped into a, 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 a Muslim movement based upon Orthodox Islam. So now that you broke it away, uh, let me ask you a, a question. Of, and this calls for numbers. You're no longer a member. Are you in a, in a membership fight now with Elijah no, Muhammad? No, I have never at any time involved myself in a membership fight with Elijah Muhammad. In fact, if you go back to the release that I made public at the time of my official departure, I pointed out that I was in no way trying to take away the followers of Elijah Muhammad, but that I myself was going to become a Muslim, but would work among the 22 million non-Muslim Negroes and try to establish some kind of program that would be beneficial to the black American period. There were a lot of numbers that were thrown around some time ago. I guess it was two years ago or so, and the numbers said something like 100,000 Muslims across the United States. And uh, you and your article, Aubrey Barnett, talk about these numbers. You, you specify quite clearly. And you ask a question at one point. You say, how large was our membership? The most accurate estimate I ever heard of our strength in Boston came during a radio debate between Gordon Hall, a specialist on extremist organizations, and Malcolm X. And that radio debate took place on Bob Kennedy Contact in Boston. Our sister station, WBZ, uh, held that debate between you, Gordon, and, uh, and Malcolm X. And I heard the tape of that debate. It was quite heated. And uh, it was a very good debate. It was very entertaining, and I enjoyed it. What did you do? Um, what now, when you talk about numbers today? And you, Aubrey, mention in your article... You say something like 55 members in all of Boston, 57 in another place. I say... Small membership numbers. I'm speaking of, of the present membership of the mosque right now. Uh, in Boston, they have probably 55 male members, and uh, uh, Springfield probably uh, 35 or 40, and uh, Providence Rhode Island maybe 10 or 15 members. The membership has just about dwindled in half. And before I uh, comment on, on the actual uh, sense of the movement at its peak, I'd like to... Uh, add something to what uh, Malcolm had just said, that not only did the black Muslim movement attract dissatisfied Negroes, and uh, it attracted Negroes who were, uh, contrary to the public, uh, the popular public belief, they did uh, attract some Negroes who were doing very well in the world, but who, Negroes who thought that the black Muslims had a program for improving the condition of the Negro in America. Uh, I was one of those Negroes. I was not very much dissatisfied uh, as an individual when I came to the Muslim movement, but I knew that there was a problem existing in the Negro community. I knew that uh, uh, 
Many Negroes were suffering from discrimination. They were frustrated. And there were many problems that would be set in our communities. And I thought that Muslims, black Muslims, had a, a program for economic upliftment, a program of moral upliftment. I thought that the Muslims had a program for combating juvenile delinquency. And you saw this as a myth now. I see, see it as now. a myth now. I see. Gordon, uh, you, you have been a, a critic of all extremist organizations. Uh, you sort of pinpointed uh, the strength of the Muslim organization. And you say that the strength is basically a myth with these 100,000 numbers. How, do, how did you arrive at your own figure? Well, I do this work full-time to begin with, and I've done this work for close to 20 years. And when you follow extremists around, whether they're Negro extremists or white extremists, if you follow the Klan around the way that I did and penetrated their movements and found out numbers, you find out that they make a lot of noise all out of proportion to their numbers, just as currently the Negro nationalists in the New York area are making noise all out of proportion to their numbers. And uh, I think the real tip-off, Stan, came when... Uh, Elijah was supposed to speak at the uh, Boston Arena a few summers ago, I think it was July 1962, and I flew back from the speaking day to Minneapolis and told the press that they couldn't possibly fill the Boston Arena, which seats 7,200 people, even if they brought in all of the um, people from the other mosques around the eastern seaboard, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and so on. I also predicted that Elijah Muhammad would not show up that he's an incoherent old man, he does not speak well, he doesn't make any sense in his public appearances, and I felt that Malcolm Polly would carry the load that day, and it worked out precisely that way. This was a prediction long before they even opened the doors in the arena. And then, lo and behold, despite all the efforts to allow the white public in, plus all the sisters and brothers and all the, the uh, fiddle-faddle about the whole show, they couldn't even fill downstairs in the arena. And they and brought was, in 3,000, I think, was the figure, right? Yes, something like that. And that was the clear tip-off to me that this thing was built on quicksand, that they've never had any members, really. And this is pretty much the history of extremist movements in general, that they make noise all out of proportion to their numbers. This was based really on the reality of the situation and not listening to all the... What grandiose year? statements made by uh, what year men was like that? Malcolm X. What year was that? Uh, I don't have the figures with me, Malcolm. I think it was the summer of 62, if I remember. Well, you, were the, you were the main speaker. You, you mentioned that, that in your article, and you say there were 3,000 there, and uh, and Malcolm, you were the main speaker. I know a lot of white people the, there, too. The, uh, no, there were about 200, which was a lot <laughs> for those days. But I think you'll find that the Muslim movement reached its peak in uh, strength in 1960, 59 and 60, and it began to taper off in 61 and in 62. Do you agree with uh, Aubrey's figures that the peak strength was about 15, 13 to 15,000? Uh, that be your estimate as well of the total Muslim movement? No, the, the peak uh, in 19... Yes. In the peak in 1959 and 60 uh, was reached. But it began to go down after Elijah Muhammad uh, took a trip abroad, plus became involved in other personal problems. And the movement itself began to deteriorate only after Elijah Muhammad put uh, members of his own family in positions of authority, which weakened the structure and caused uh, internal bickering and division, and eventually the movement just petered out. Gentlemen, we're going to get back to this in one moment. It's time for us to make a little money. It's the way you know, the show survives all the time. East side, west side, all around the town. Another money-saving ShopRite supermarket comes to Patterson, New Jersey at 142-160 West Broadway in Patterson. Open now and ready to serve you everything you could possibly want in meats, fish, shellfish, fresh produce, canned and frozen foods, baked goods, and dairy products. And there's a convenient service appetizer department, too. There's plenty of free parking, and the store is open late every night of the week. If you can't get to Patterson, get to the ShopRite supermarket nearest you and cash in on the carnival of grand opening celebration values. So why pay more? Shop. 
Shop right in Patterson, 142, 160 West Broadway. The wind's contact number, Judson 26405. That's J-U-2 6405. You have a question tonight. Tonight is the night. Yes, sir. Just one more point, Stan. I think the whole um, point of this last discussion between uh, Aubrey and Malcolm and myself would be to... Uh, point out that the three of us agree that of a peak figure of, say, 15,000, regardless of the year, whether it was 1960 or 59, this is far below what the press had been estimating all over the country. And 15,000 Muslims uh, in any country are not very many Muslims when you figure that we have, let's say, a, um, uh, a Negro population of close to 22 million. This is just well, a drop in the bucket. See, Eric Lincoln came up with a figure of 100,000. Because uh, he doesn't study extremists. That's why he came up with no, that No, I have to... Uh contend with that and I won't go uh, I won't go along with what you're saying in what way Malcolm in what way see Eric Lincoln is the person who was probably first in to mention a number in regards to black Muslims but you will never find any figure given out at any time in any way not by me uh, concerning the numerical strength of the Muslims I have never stated my, my standing answer was that the best part of the tree is the root. And uh, I never defined the extent of the tree beyond that. Well, I, I, don't, I don't quite follow. The thing you have to consider, uh, Mr. Hall, is like when you say that when you study extremist groups, usually they're very small and don't have much of an impact upon the public or drawing among the public. Uh, whether you're in the north, south, east, or west here in the states, where the nationalists are concerned, usually nationalists have an anti-press, whereas the civil rights groups, or the, the accepted civil rights groups, usually the press, the, the city government, all of the uh, machinery that has to do with uh, public, molding public opinion goes along with civil rights groups. And whenever they're giving something, they have everything going for them toward promoting what they're giving. But when it comes to the nationalists, usually you'll find that they have to almost fight their way into print in advance if they're going to give something. And despite that, uh, those obstacles and that uh, type of organized opposition, still you'll find the nationalist, nationalist groups, especially in the New York area, command a large following. I'll give you an example. This coming Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Audubon Ballroom, the organization of Afro-American Unity, which I'm presently involved in, which is considered nationalist, are having a rally, and you are welcome to attend that. White, black, brown, red, yellow, green, or whatever else you have. And I think you'll find that despite the fact that we get no help whatsoever from the press, that we're able here in the New York area to attract larger crowds to our rallies than any other kind of rally that's given, and, they're, and they're, they are given the complete support of the press. But that doesn't prove anything, Malcolm, because Harlem is a big place. You'll you'll get a lot of uh, Negroes in. You'll get curious whites. That doesn't. That's not your membership. No, well, nobody. Just speaks. as just as when the Listen. Grand Dragon of the Klan speaks on campus, he will outdraw the vice president. He doesn't have to have membership to uh, still be the influencing factor in the South. You can't tell me that the Klan is a handful of people in Alabama, and then the whole government is supposed behind Martin Luther King. And a handful of Klansmen are keeping Dr. King in jail and, and marching Negro children down the road? I'm not saying that at all. Well, you, then you can't say that extremist groups are not effective and, and, and do not uh, uh, represent an influencing factor I'm in, the, in this Muslim, society. Muslims, Muslims, gentlemen, I want to ask the Negro community are not question. an important factor. I have a question <laughs> to answer this point. But the Klan is an important factor in the white community. It has been historically, yes. Malcolm, right. you say attempts have been made on your life 
and uh, that was at this afternoon's press conference. You say five different attempts recently. How were they attempted? Yes, uh, more than five. Of course, there was the bombing of the house. We know about that occurred Sunday. Yes, first I would like to point out about that bombing of the house because the press has also been used uh, during the past week to imply that I bombed my own house. I would like to point out right here and now that I have no life insurance. My wife has no life insurance. I have four baby girls, none of whom have life insurance. We don't have health insurance. We don't have fire insurance. We have no kind of insurance whatsoever. And the only uh, uh, group that stood to gain anything from the bombing of that house was the black Muslim movement in which the insurance is uh, uh, actually, the, the insurance is in their name. And I, I uh, really felt hurt that the press would allow itself to be used to give the public the impression that I would throw a that I would throw a bomb or light a fire to a home in which my family, which my wife and family are asleep. Uh, the uh, deputy chief, uh, deputy uh, chief fire marshal, I think his name is uh, Vincent McC- uh, Vincent Canty, pointed out to me uh, in the presence of witnesses on that same night that a fireman picked up a bottle of gasoline from my living room that had not exploded, and because this bottle of gasoline was in a whiskey bottle, this fireman placed that. Uh, a bottle on the dresser in my baby's room thinking that it was a bottle of whiskey. And when my wife came in and saw the bottle there, she asked the fireman, what was it? And the fireman said, it was whiskey. And well, we know that there's no whiskey in our house. And so she touched it and said, this isn't whiskey, this is something inflammable. And then they took it out. Now, despite that, the uh, deputy uh, marshal, deputy uh, fire chief marshal, having this knowledge and the... uh, uh, police having this knowledge, still this knowledge is, is uh, kept back from the press and in the vacuum that exists, then this man James down at 116th Street steps in and tries to give the impression that uh, all of this was done by me. And I think that it is uh, a worse injustice on the part of the press and the police and the firemen to let such uh, impression be given even then the people who threw the bombs in the house themselves. Aubrey, you were attacked in Boston by a group that you say were members of a Muslim goon squad. How did that come about? Right, well, I I think I should be angry with Malcolm because I think, in a way, Malcolm was responsible for my being attacked. And uh, the reason I was attacked, because the black Muslim movement, losing strength, uh, had to build an enemy. And the enemy they projected was the black nationalists. Now, because I had left the mosque and, and uh, put the black Muslims behind, they branded me as a black nationalist, even though I had left the mosque some time before Malcolm ever followed me in the mosque. I was still accused of being a follower of Malcolm, although they should have turned around and said Malcolm was following me since That's I left right. first. Anyway, I, I can testify to the brutality of the black Muslims because I was viciously attacked by the black Muslims and put in the hospital for a week with a, a fractured... I, rather, I was hospitalized for a week and at home uh, in bed for another week. I had a fractured rib... Uh, a fractured ankle, two fractured vertebrae, and internal injuries. And the reason I was attacked was primarily because I had the audacity to quit the black Muslim movement. And uh, I might point out, as far as the black Muslims manufacturing stories, one of the most fantastic stories I ever heard was the black Muslims' testimony in the trial in which they were, incidentally, were all found guilty of assault and battery on myself and the other. You who pressed charges. Uh, yes, sir. I was, uh, one of the first uh, cases in the country where a uh, uh, black Muslim ex-member had press charges against the, the uh, black Muslim for, for being beat up. Uh, I'm not the first one who was beat up. I'm the first one who uh, actually took the, had the, the courage to take them into court. And uh, it, during this trial, uh, they made some outrageous charges. Uh, 
First of all, they charged that uh, John Timas and myself attacked the moth. Two men attacked the moth. Uh, you were a mighty 135 pounds. I, I, I weigh 130 pounds soaking wet. And with all my clothes on, and probably with a pair of combat boots on, I'm not weighing 130 pounds. But anyway, I, uh, John Timas and myself attacked the moth where there may be, uh, according to the black Muslim members, they would have you believe there's a thousand members there. But, uh, there are only probably 55, but two men against 55 is a pretty good odds. But this is the story they gave, that I attacked the moth, and during the, the course of the trial, uh, I went to the, after, after the, uh, I was attacked, I was taken to the city hospital by the Boston police. I stayed there for about two hours, and then the police took me to uh, the Beth. I mean, I had myself transferred to the Beth Israel Hospital. Well, the lawyer during the trial said that uh, I got together with the Beth Israel Hospital and faked all of these injuries. I faked the X-ray showing my fractured rib. I faked the X-rays showing the. Uh, Who was the, the lawyer? The lawyer was uh, Edward Jacko from New York from City. New York City. From Harlem. Ah, uh, yeah. You mean Edward Jacko came to Boston? And, and accused you of faking these charges? Yes, uh, apparently he wasn't very familiar with the Beth Israel Hospital because it was one of the biggest hospitals in Boston. And uh, how I ever got, to, got together with the Beth Israel Hospital, I think these records was beyond me. And, and why the Beth Israel uh, didn't take him up on that is beyond me also. But they will fabricate any charges uh, uh, and make up the wildest stories. Gentlemen, we're going to get to the telephones in just one moment. Would you like to play an active part in education in your community? You can right now by helping the Board of Education to fill the vacancies on the local school board in your district, which is the link between your community and the New York City Board of Education. Wynn suggests that you write the coordinator of local school boards, 110 Livingston Street, Brooklyn, or you can call 596-8993 for further information. Applications must be submitted by March 15th. That's March 15th. Let's get right to the telephones. Uh, Will I ask him just a question? Was yes. Edward Jacko retained by the Muslims in Boston, or was he retained by the Chicago headquarters? He was uh, retained by the Chicago headquarters because the black Muslims were found guilty in lower court and advised by the judge to plead guilty and uh, pay me restitution, $2,000, for the damage that I sustained, and uh, he would give them a suspended sentence. But they, on orders of the Chicago, they appealed the sentence, and, and uh, they fired their other lawyer and uh, imported Edward Jacko from New York. Okay, let's get to our... One quick comment on this general discussion of the courts and such. Aubrey took his case into the courts, uh, placed it in the hands of what he feels is uh, the reasonably fair and uncorrupt courts and justices and so on, and his case has been settled. I would charge that Malcolm's one-sided account of what actually happened in his home and everything will have to be settled by the courts for investigation and all the rest. And I warn your listeners to not to be simply accept this at face value, but to watch the newspapers and see what does develop in this well, current well, case. Well, you made a comment. What do you mean the, by that? The case was settled. I mean just what I said by Not satisfactory. Well, These Muslims, I must point out, were given suspended sentences but they were against convicted. the law, against the laws of Massachusetts. The statutes of Massachusetts say that you cannot give a person a suspended sentence when he's been convicted of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon. Well, there's another point. Uh, there were actual suspects in that case. And uh, let me say this about, uh, in terms of fair play, uh, in, in, on this uh, on this station, uh, the Muslims are going to have a chance on March 3rd to answer every single charge that has been made here tonight against them. Well, actually, you should have had the Muslims here tonight. Well, uh, there's a little problem with that, and uh, we are going to arrange a program for them, and they are going to be appearing, uh, including, and by the way, there's a good chance that Elijah Muhammad may appear on the program via the telephone. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to that, of course. We're trying to arrange that now. Uh, as soon as they were apprised of the fact that you were coming on the program tonight, they asked for equal time. And although it doesn't have to come under the equal time provisions uh, by the FCC, we are going ahead and are giving them a program 
I believe it's March 3rd or March 4th. But let's get to our telephones. We have an awful lot of... That was not the point, however, that I made. My only point was this, Stan, simply that there are charges and countercharges leveled by dissident factions within the Negro community, the small dissident factions we're talking about tonight. But uh, these things will be thoroughly investigated by law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and justice will be done in the end, just as the... Black Liberation Front will claim that they weren't really trying to blow up anything, but the evidence is clear that they were trying to blow up the Statue of Liberty, despite their charges now that they're being framed. Um, uh, Mr. Hall, today uh, we demanded uh, that, that the FBI launch an immediate investigation of the bombing of my home on Sunday morning. Very good, and I'm confident that my... Uh, because we were charging a conspiracy on the part of some firemen, some policemen, and some newsmen to work together to cover up the part played by Elijah's followers in the bombing and to give the public the impression that I bombed it myself by withholding valuable information from the public and telling half-truths through the press. We demanded the FBI Very investigation. Good. Very good. And I pointed out that my attorney had suggested that I and my wife submit ourselves to a lie detector test and that every policeman and fireman who entered that house that night do likewise. And we also suggest to uh, the minister of the local temple here who represents Elijah uh, that he too submit himself to a lie detector test and Joseph, the fat one, submit himself to a lie detector test since he has implied that the bombing was done by people other than himself. So we're not in any way, sir ducking away from any kind of investigation. We just demand Very that good. it be done by an impartial body and that it be done immediately. Very good. Gentlemen, let's do a station break right about now. This is yours truly, WINS, the Group W station, Westinghouse Broadcasting for New York. We're going to get back to things in just about 40 seconds. <laughs> Cloudy and then becoming fair tomorrow. Colder with a high in the upper 30s. Clear and cold tomorrow night below 20 to 25. And for Saturday, fair and continued seasonably cold. The current temperature, 36 degrees. What is a black Muslim besides a Negro? What is the movement? Is it a bona fide religion or just a terror organization? Tonight on San Bernard Contact, we're talking about black nationalism. And my guest, Malcolm X. Aubrey Barnett. Aubrey is a former black Muslim official from Boston. He's uh, split from the organization and has written an article in this week's Saturday Evening Post labeled simply, The Black Muslims Are a Fraud. And it's not a simple article at all. It runs about seven pages and it's absolutely fascinating. And my third guest tonight, Gordon Hall, an expert on extremist organizations. You know, we haven't taken a single phone call yet, gentlemen, and I would like to very much right now. Let's find out what's going on out there. The wind's contact number, Judson 26405. This is Stan Bernard. Contact, you're on the air. Yes, I'd like to say that uh, there's one thing about this business about Malcolm's home being bombed that really bothers me. Uh, the, he charges that the black Muslims did this. 
Now, there's one thing. They happen to own this home. It's not Malcolm's home. It's the black Muslim's home. Now, it seems very odd to me that the black Muslims would uh, want to destroy their own property. It would seem uh, more likely to me that Malcolm X would want to destroy...